you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, we're still in this series, Fighting for Truth in an Age of Deceit. Fighting for Truth in an Age of Deceit. And today we're going to be covering the next section um, of Jude here. Thank you. Um, We're going to be covering the next section of Jude here. And throughout this letter, Jude has gone to great lengths to make sure that we as believers are ready to contend for the faith. Now we know from week number one of this series, which seems like an eternity ago, that the word contend means to agonize over truth. To agonize is the same word that would be used of wrestlers on a wrestling mat. Now we know that Jude has gone to great lengths to make sure that we contend for the faith. And he spent the first 16 verses of this chapter, this single chapter book, explaining in detail those who have crept into the church and what their agenda is and has always been. How they seek to corrupt the gospel that is true. Now Jude has given clear examples to us of what is awaiting those people who lead others astray. He's also given us a warning in some of the strongest ways possible here in the text. Now we get to verse 17, and he begins to reiterate his feelings towards those that he is writing. He's, he's writing now as a pastor with pastoral care and, and love, and he shifts his approach here in the last couple of verses of this book, and he begins to exhort and encourage believers to stay true and to stay strong in the Lord. Now if you would look with me at verse number 17, and he says this, church, but you must remember, beloved, and if you have a physical Bible in your possession, I would encourage you to underline that phrase, but you must remember, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, they said to you, and the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, awaiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to lead, or that leads to eternal life. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask of you now, Lord, that you would impress upon our, part, our hearts in this moment of time the act of remembering and renewing. Two things that are seen here in the text, Lord, that we must never forget. We must never forget the sacrifice of your Son that leads to eternal life. And we must never forget the renewal of one's mind so that we can know the good and perfect and acceptable will uh, that is yours, God. And so I'm asking Holy Spirit to illuminate these scriptures for us this morning as we study them. And I ask and pray this now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. And amen. What is most shocking about this book, but more particular this passage, is that who would have thought that in such a short time the church would go from flourishing to corruption? 
the church would be embracing now false teachers and false doctrine, that the church would be crumbling not from without, but from within its own walls. In the book of Acts, we read about the, the early New Testament church and how it was powerful and how it was productive, how it was pure, how they were a praying church, how the gospel was being spread all throughout the known world at that time, how people were being saved. And, and in the early book of Acts, we see that the church goes from 120 people all the way to 20,000 people in a small period of time. The church was filled with truth. It was filled with life. It was a beacon of hope and help for so many people. No one would have ever thought that a time like this would come where the church is now filled with pretenders and defectors. You know, it was only 25 years or so from the time that Jude wrote this letter after Peter and the early church began in the book of Acts, written by Luke. Just 25 years between the church starting and corruption in the church and this little itty-bitty one-chapter book is sandwiched in between the start of the church and the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation where we see what has become of the seven main or staple churches in that day and age. For those of you who walked through the Revelation Bible study with me a little over a year ago, some of these things are going to come to your memory but I want to just share with you a couple of things that the Bible tells us about a few of those seven churches and where they are at. The church Pergamos was a church that was completely filled in corruption as well as idolatrous worship to a woman named Diana. Diana was the, the goddess uh, of sexual immorality. She was one in where people would give their bodies on the altar of Diana with both men and with women. And it would be set up in a coliseum type stage where people could come and watch the immorality occur. That was the church of Pergamos. Then there was the church of Thyatira. They were a church that God labels as one that is wicked. A church that was indulging in the same types of acts as Pergamos. Then there was the church that John wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the church of Sardis. John said that the church of Sardis was dead. They no longer knew or understood the power of the Lord. But sadly, the fourth church in which John speaks is the church of Laodicea. It is the church in which John said, you are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm. You are the one church that God would vomit out of his mouth. When you look at scripture at what has happened and how fast things have changed, it makes us realize that we as believers should be on alert. It should awaken us to the fact, church, and I don't want you to miss this. It should awaken every single one of us to the fact this morning that any church can quickly become neutralized and ineffective when they move away from sound doctrine. They can become neutralized and ineffective when they fail to contend for the faith. You know, the good news is that despite 
all of the corruption and the dysfunction, when you look at the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there has always been what the Bible calls a righteous remnant, a faithful few in scripture. You know, people who have stayed faithful and true to God, those who have not compromised and those who would contend for the faith. There's always been a core group of faithful and true believers. I think back to the Old Testament of the group of people that finally crossed the Jordan into the land of promise under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb. I think about the the small remnant that rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. I think about the few faithful who actually embraced Jesus and his message in the New Testament. I think about the 120 that were praying in the upper room at the beginning of Acts. There has always been a relatively small group, a core group of believers who have been faithful. Church, I want you to please uh, write this down this morning that God is not looking for the crowds, but for the committed. He's not looking for the crowds, but the committed. You guys are well aware, for those who have attended church here uh, any length of time, um, I'm a numbers guy. I like to look at all the stats. I like to, I like to read the percentages, and, and I want to understand where they came from. And, and I'm constantly giving you numbers, and, and there may be a time later on in, in this sermon in which I will address this, but we can't, church. I've come to realize over my years of ministry, we cannot get caught up in the numbers. Amen? We can't get caught up in the numbers. The commitment of the life of a believer is what truly matters. And anyone, I've also found in ministry that anyone can be a part of a crowd, but oftentimes the crowd will quickly dwindle. Oftentimes people will walk away and the crowd typically shrinks when things get serious. When things get serious, the crowd will disperse and go away. Look back to the disciples How many were standing at the cross of Jesus Christ? Not one until later when John showed up. Not one. We're living in a time church that requires each and every one of us to look out and see what is taking place around us. To analyze what we call or what many call the truth. To be constantly aware in this life of the fact that our enemy is seeking to destroy believers and the church. It's present all around us. But there are some clear instructions here that Jude gives to us to help us in the hour in which we live. And so the first thing I want you to see here is that we must remember the truth. We must remember the truth. Remembrance is a familiar theme all throughout Scripture. Remember, the authors say. Paul said it. Isaiah said it, Ezekiel said it, Moses said it, Joshua talked about it. Remember, remember, God knows that every single one of us does not matter the memory that we have. We are all prone to forget. We are all prone to forget and we also fail to act upon that which we know. We need to be reminded again And again, and again, do you guys remember the illustration that I gave a few Sundays ago about how sometimes we as parents have to remind our children over and over and over again because we love and care for our kids? 
we're reminded over and over and over again in Scripture because of that very thing. And Scripture is full of passages reminding us to remember what has been spoken. Look back with me at verse number 17. What did Jude say? But you must remember, beloved. You must remember, beloved. We are to remember, what did Jude say? Remember what, church? The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ is exactly the way that Jude reminds us. The word of God, church, is always the answer for dangers in and outside of the church. The apostles warned that these things would come, and even more so as the day approaches that we come close to God's return. I want you to look at this verse on the screen, or these verses, we touched on them last week just a little bit, but it's this in 2 Timothy. Paul said, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to what, church? It's on the screen. What? Fables. They will be turned aside to fables. Church, the instruction is very clear here from Paul that we need to keep focused on the word of God. But why? Why? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you the answer. We should keep focused on the word of God because man, by his natural instinct, does not want God's revelation. Our natural instinct is to not want God's revelation. We would rather hear what we want to hear when we want to hear it. Something that will scratch our itching ears. That's what we want to hear. And I want to just pause for just a moment here and, and you know that I, I, will, I always try to not chase rabbit trails, but I need to address something here in the text. And I, I wrestled back and forth with what to do, and then the Holy Spirit just continued to press upon me that I needed to address this. I want you to look at the rest of verse number 17. He says, but you must remember, beloved, but what must, what must we remember but the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very clear here in the text that Jude is pointing to the fact that those who spoke the truth were the apostles of Jesus Christ. Now, there were and are many disciples, but there are only a few apostles. There are only a few apostles. There were a small handful selected by God for a special purpose. The word apostle here in the text means one who is sent by or with a commission by God. Now the apostle had to qualify in essence. They needed to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To serve and work with Jesus and to be sent directly by him. So pastor, what are you getting at here? Nowhere in the Bible are we ever taught that there is a self-proclaimed apostle. Nowhere. Nowhere in scripture does it say that you can give yourself the title apostle. So what does that mean? Well, there are a lot of people here in our day and age that call themselves apostle fill in the blank. Apostle and then fill in the blank. Nowhere in scripture can you give yourself that title. 
there is a gift of the Holy Spirit which allows for apostolic power to be used, but the title itself is not given by anyone except for Christ himself to the other individual. The test church of what is true always has to go back to who said it. Always. What authority are you claiming? What authority? We need to be careful. And I say this as lovingly as possible, church, because there are a lot of people out there right now who say that they are, are uh, God's anointed and they are leading people astray by the droves. We need to be very, very careful about quote-unquote new truths and quote-unquote new revelations. Solomon said there is nothing new under the sun. And he was the wisest man outside of Christ to ever live. So church, we must always check with who said it and then check it with what is being said and see if it aligns with Scripture. And if it does not align with Scripture, then it's not of God. Amen? All right, church, I want you to, to reel it back in with me now. We're back on track, on the main trail. I want you to look at this next set of verses on the screen to see how the Apostle Peter addresses remembrance. He says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers, hey, here it is just again, Jude said scoffers would come in the last day. Now Peter is saying scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own simple desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now Peter wrote here, church, about the importance of being reminded he did so in 2 Peter chapter 1 as well. But here he's emphasizing what should be known in light of the coming of Jesus and the prophecies that surround his coming. Peter clearly believed that the words of scripture were important. Amen, church? Wow, that was pretty weak. The words of scripture are pretty important, amen? That's better. I feel a little... A little less sick in my stomach. <laughs> Christians in this room today, disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of God, we should not be surprised to find that there are those who will scoff at the idea of Jesus. Peter told us that scoffers would come. Jude said scoffers will come. The words remind us that scoffers do not only have an intellectual problem with God and his word, but they have a clear moral problem. They reject the lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives. The scoffer bases their message on the idea that the things have always been the way they are right now and that God has not and will not do anything new in his plan for creation. 
I want to just stop, though, because if you were to continue reading in 2 Peter, and I would challenge you to go home today and throughout this week, read through the book of 2 Peter and see what happens, because you will quickly realize in that book that the scoffer presumes upon the mercy and long-suffering of God, insisting that because they themselves have not seen widespread judgment, that there will never, ever be widespread judgment. That's what the scoffer believes. And and here's the thing. The scoffer willfully forgets God's creation and the judgment that God poured out upon the earth in the days of Noah. They forget about the first eight chapters of the book of Genesis. But church, here's a thing this morning for us. A literal belief in creation. A literal belief in creation. A literal belief in Adam and Eve and a literal belief in Noah's flood are essential for a true understanding of God's work both then, now, and into the future. It is true. We must see it this way. And to deny the existence of those things that occurred in the book of Genesis is to undermine the very foundations of our faith. But sadly, sadly today, Many Christians will willfully forget these things, therefore putting themselves in the same place as a scoffer. We willfully forget creation and the judgment in the day of Noah. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that the active agent in creation was the word of God. He spoke And creation came into existence. You know, Peter's point is that the things on this earth have not always continued the way they are now. In fact, the earth was very different when God first created it. And then it was different again after the flood. So nobody should scoff at God's promise that he will make it different once again. Judging it not by water, but by fire. You know, the same word of God that created all matter and judged the world in the flood will one day bring a judgment of fire upon this earth. Same word. So I want you to look back with me at verse number 18. He says, and they said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own what? Their ungodly passions. Their ungodly passion. Do you notice the common phrases between that verse that we had up there in 2 Peter and what Jude is saying here? They're scoffers, and what do they both what, what do both places say? They will follow their own ungodly or sinful desires or passions. Church, those who walk in apostasy don't want anyone telling them how to live their lives. They don't. They want to satisfy their own lusts and in in desires, and they will scoff at or they will mock those who want to do what is right. You know, a lot of people have problems with the Bible, and the main problem they have with the Bible is that they don't like what it says about how they're supposed to live. That's the, people, that's the reason that people don't like the Bible. They don't like what it says about how they're supposed to live. They don't want any thought of having to give an account for They want to be able to live in their own fleshly desires and not be challenged in them. Unfortunately, there are churches all over the United States and around the globe right now that are teaching happiness over holiness. 
They're driven by their own lusts, and they will mock anyone who thinks otherwise. Apostates deny the truth, they pervert the truth, and they seek to make up their own quote-unquote truth. Christian in here this morning. I want you to just stop what you're doing for a moment. I want you to look right up here. Friend in here. Family in here. The reality is this. One of the only ways to truly know that the Bible is actually correct is to obey what it says. And that's exactly what the apostate doesn't want to do. It's to obey what it says. The underlying goal of apostasy is extremely clear here to taint what God sees as good. We're seeing it all over, are we not? The life of a child is no longer valuable in the eyes of our world. The sanctity of marriage is no longer valuable in the eyes of our culture. And yes, there are are strides that are being taken to allow our public school systems to have Bibles and, and, and to pray, but I guarantee that there will be a fight that comes along with that. I want you to look, though, back at verse number 19 because we get a little more clarity here from Jude. And he says, it is these, he's talking about those who walk in apostasy. It is these who cause divisions... Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Devoid. The apostate seeks to divide and separate. Essentially, they are people who are not spiritual. They are devoid of the Spirit. They are carnal. They are insensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. They want to lead people out of Christ, they will use words and phrases that sound good, but it is a smoke scheme, a screen for the real scheme of their ministry or life. It is the person who lives only by and for what they can get through their physical senses. I was talking to a pastor just recently who was a good friend of mine, and he was sharing about a conference that he just recently had gone to, and he heard the pastor. He's like, Josh, I had to get up and, and leave, and I no longer wanted to go back. And, and I, he's like, I sat in my hotel room for the next two days after. He said, I was at a pastoral conference. And he said, a man that I trusted and respected, highly respected, was a professor with multiple PhDs, had studied the Word of God. And he said, I was sitting in that conference trying to glean what I could from a wise man. And he said, you want to know what my takeaway was? If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. Or, or how can it be wrong if it feels so right? False teachers use phrases like, we're just on a deeper level than the other people. False teachers will say, you don't need the walls of the church in order to gather for worship. False teachers will say, we're just really into prophecy and we're on a level that you can't comprehend. False teachers have their own set of standards and rules by which they live. 
They seek out people they can manipulate into their way of thinking. Apostates are all about the showmanship and they've forgotten about the Savior. It's really sad, church, because they function on their own fleshly level and what they do is under false pretenses and the sad reality is that many people follow them. If you were to go back to the book of Leviticus chapter 10, there are two men that are mentioned in the Bible. Two men. Their names are Nadab and Abihu. They're the sons of Aaron, the priest. And they themselves are priests. They're the leaders, the godly leaders of the Israelites in the book of Leviticus. And because of their pride and their selfish ambition, they went out of their way to perform acts that were unbiblical. They misused and they abused their position as spiritual leaders, and in a blatant disregard for God and His Word, they presented what the Bible says was a strange fire, or a profane fire, unto the Lord. Nadab and Abihu had a legacy of great spiritual experiences. They had firsthand witness to the miracles that God did in bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were firsthand witnesses to the voice of God. They saw the fire, they saw the lightning, they saw the smoke, they felt the ground shake at the earthquake when God spoke on Mount Sinai to his people. They were even witnesses with Aaron and with Moses and the 70 elders for a special meeting with God on Mount Sinai where it says that they saw the God of Israel and they ate and drank together in Exodus 24. These men show us that even a legacy of great spiritual experiences can't keep us right with the Lord. Only an abiding relationship that is grounded in the truths of God's word can. And for those of you, do you guys, is there anyone who recognizes the story of Nadab and Abihu? Yep. Do you guys know what the Bible says about Nadab and Abihu? Because of their unfaithfulness to God's word and their attempt to lead others down that same path, the Bible says that a fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before him. They were killed. They were swallowed up because of God's judgment for leading or attempting to lead people astray from the word of God. Church, any ministry... It does not matter if you watch them for 55 years. Any ministry that attempts to magnify the man at some point is going to get in real big trouble. Yes, God uses men for his glory, but men must never attempt to use God for their own glory. And when the Spirit is ministering through the word, there is edification. But when man is manufacturing ministry, that's what I would call entertainment. We don't come to church to be entertained. We come to glorify the God who deserves it. And so you may be sitting in here and you're like, Pastor, this is like week six or week seven. And so 
what are we do? What are we to do about the dangers of apostasy? Because we're seeing it all around us. So what is it that we do? Well, I want you to look back because Jude tells us exactly what to do in verse 20 and 21. He says in verse 20, But you, beloved, and if you have your physical Bible, I would encourage you to underline these two verses. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Amen, church? There's a lot of hope right there in those two verses. A ton of hope. And so the second thing I need us to see this morning, right, we must remember the truth, but the second thing, we must renew our understanding. We must renew our understanding. You know, there are a few things that Jude tells us to help us renew our understanding or or to help us protect our mind. Jude says that we must build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Build ourselves up. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are responsible for our spiritual growth. We are responsible as individuals. It means that we cannot just wait for spiritual growth to just happen or expect others to make us grow spiritually. I want to just stop for a moment. I want to just address something here. Jude has shown us the frailty of man here in this one chapter, and how deceivers infiltrate the church. If you are in here this morning and you're saying that my life has been saved out of the muck and the mire by Jesus Christ, that my life is in his hands, and I will one day stand before my creator and I will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you entrust your spiritual growth to someone else, it will not only hurt your spiritual growth, but it may also lead you astray. Others can help provide an environment that is conducive for your spiritual growth, but no one can make another person grow in their relationship to God. Nobody. If it, if it was that way, my, my position as a pastor would be a whole lot easier if I could force people into spiritual growth, but I can't. I cannot force you into spiritual growth. We grow on the foundation of truth. And I just want to say this real quick. We grow upon the foundation of truth. And where is the foundation of truth found, church? Right here. Right here in the word of God. You want to know what the sad reality is today? The Christian Research Institute says that 82% of evangelicals here in America say they don't need to read their Bible. 82% of American evangelicals or or those who would label themselves as Christ followers believe they don't have to read their Bible. If you read your Bible in here more than two times a week, you fall into a percentage of less than 5% of evangelicals here in America. Less than 5%. And if you read your Bible more than four times in a week, you are in the percentage of less than 1% percent of people who read their Bible on any consistent sort of basis at all. How will we know and understand the the foundations of our truth if we don't pick this book up? How will we understand what God's character and nature is if we don't value the truths 
that are found right here in this book. Church, I'm not saying that every day you're going to wake up all giddy and happy about reading your Bible. You may get there, but I guarantee most oftentimes your first thought when you wake up is not let's run to the Word of God. Why? I've been there. We're humans. What did I say earlier? Our natural instinct is to reject the revelation of God. And so guess what? Reading this is not always going to be easy. Praying is not always going to be easy. Getting into your prayer closet and spending time alone with God is not always going to be easy. The Christian life was not laid out for us in the word of God as being like puppy dogs and candy canes. And the unfortunate thing is that many of us, and I've said this in the past, have a microwave mentality. We want it when we want it, how we want it, where we want it, immediately. Like, we could log on to to Amazon and ask God for some more wisdom and, and buy it, and it comes to us in 48 hours or less. And we get angry when we read our Bible for three days and something hasn't changed in our life when we have not allowed the truths of God's word to saturate our thinking. Man, you're not going to be sanctified 100% overnight. It's not going to happen. But guess what? Sanctification in this life is supposed to be lived out over the course of the rest of your life from the moment of salvation until the time that God takes you home. And guess what, church? If we're sitting in this room and ain't nobody dead in here, at least I don't think, that means our sanctification process isn't done. That means God's still working on us. So guess what? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. You're going to choose to do the wrong thing occasionally. But this life is not about being sinless. It's about sinning less. It's about sinning less. And the closer that we get to the Lord, the less we will want to sin. Why? Because we know that sin hinders my relationship. And just like David, just like David cried out to the Lord, God, restore my relationship to you in Psalm 51. Why? Because I've sinned against you and you alone. So in this life, it takes us recognizing that when we sin, we've offended a holy God. We've offended a holy God. And my relationship is now severed because of that sin. And the only way, the only way for it to be restored, repentance. And what is repentance, church? Turning away from sin and self and turning towards the only one who gives life. And who is that? Jesus Jesus Christ. Church, we have to renew our minds. We have to renew our minds. Jude also told us, though, that we were to pray in the Holy Spirit. We were to pray in the Holy Spirit. And now everybody's on edge because the pastor is going to start talking about speaking in tongues. The other way to keep ourselves in the love of God is by praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, the battle against wrong living and wrong teaching is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual. It requires prayer. It requires prayer. You know, many of our prayers are directed by our own needs or by our own intellect or even by our own wishes and desires. But there is a higher level 
of prayer. The Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Has anyone ever been in a place where you wanted to be alone with God, but the words were not coming out? You could not, there was nothing in uh, your brain that would give you something to express what was going on in your life. The last year has oftentimes been that in my life. For those of you who know my, my health diagnosis from like almost 15 months ago, there have often been times where I have asked God, like, I don't even know what words to say right now. And I'm always reminded of Romans chapter 8. Not running to God turns everything to good for those who love him, but going to the fact that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us when we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit may help us pray by giving us the right words to say when we need it, but he also speaks through our groanings which cannot be uttered. Now before anybody freaks out, the Holy Spirit may also do this through the gift of tongues. A gift that God gives to seeking hearts which want, which want to communicate with God on a deeper level than just normal conversation. And I don't have the time today to unpack it, but if you have questions about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to go back and listen to my Romans Bible study. I unpack all of it. I cover 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 about what, what does the Bible truly say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And when should they be used? Jude says that we must build ourselves up, we must pray in the Holy Spirit, but he also says that we must wait. We must wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How many of you in here would, would be in the same category as me? We struggle waiting. We struggle waiting. Listen, don't be pious in church. The third way that we renew our understanding is by waiting, is by waiting. As we keep blessed hope in front of us that Jesus will soon return, our hearts are strengthened. Amen? Teaching the truth and believing the truth is more than just instruction and entertainment, church. We're to be striving to live for the glory of God each and every day of this life. Our goal should not be to obtain a following or a crowd because crowds are going to come and go. A false teacher wants to recognize, wants recognition and wants fame and wants following. But as believers, we need discernment. We need discernment. If I'd say the one downfall of the church in our culture right now, it would be a lack of discernment. We need to be aware we need to be alert to those who are glory hounds. When, when we are genuinely seeking God and his glory, our eyes are able to see the truth more clearly. When we're truly seeking God. And so here we are, a month in to 2023, February 5th. 
I'm 10 days away from my two-year anniversary here at the church. And I love you and I appreciate you all, but that's not where I was going. Over the course of two years, the Lord has radically changed this church. The Lord has allowed, from my perspective as your pastor, to see spiritual growth leaps and bounds. But you want to know what that means? That means that we were obedient and the Lord was walking with us every step of the way. But that doesn't mean that it gets to stop. And so church, I'm asking you this morning, I'm asking each and every one of you, are you ready to continue going deeper into the word of God? Are you, are you ready to continue learning and growing, but then being responsive to that truth. Because God has really called each one of us to a higher way of living. Not prideful, but he's called us to live the way that Christ would have lived. To be a people of grace and mercy. To be a people of love. To be a people that um, walked humbly, right? As Micah chapter 6 says. That we would love justice that would be merciful, and that we would walk in humility. And so, church, we're going to wrap up this series in the next maybe two weeks or less. And um, I'm, I'm going to just forewarn you right now what's on the horizon. In the coming weeks and months, I'm going to be doing a series that the Lord has brought to me and it's, I've been really wrestling with this for over a year, putting these sermons together. And it's, it's really um, a sermon series that is going to challenge each and every one of us in ways that we probably didn't expect to be challenged. But I'm going to be walking into a series after Easter where we're going to start covering the seven deadly sins. A series in which we're going to be talking about sin and how sanctification can cause us to walk in a life that is sinning less. And we will each be challenged by these seven deadly sins. And I'm excited and I wanted you to know ahead of time that we are going to be coming in, in, the, in the weeks uh, weeks ahead. Uh, just so you know that I'm ready for us to put our spiritual seatbelts on and, and to keep going wherever the Lord leads us. And so church, I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. Let you know that I love you. I hope uh, that this series thus far has been not only eye-opening, but challenging and encouraging to you. Um, and um, thank God. Amen, church. Thank God for his word, for his truth. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come to you in this place, Lord, and I thank you for uh, these truths that uh, oftentimes challenge our, our finite minds. I, I thank you, Lord, for, um, for a church who is willing for the Holy Spirit to, to encourage and challenge us, to, to move in our presence. God, I'm asking for you to continue using us and, and molding and shaping us into the, the church that you would have us to be as we look for greater ways to impact not just this community, but 
um, abroad, Lord, with, with missionaries and, and missions trips that are on, on the horizon. So, Lord, I just ask that uh, you would give us strength and, and give us boldness as we have divine encounters and interactions this week with those who are lost and hurting. God, use us as, as instruments of grace in your hands. And I just ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.